Is your accounting firm ready to deliver a modern client experience while improving your staff's efficiency? Surefile wants to help your business grow with user-friendly workflows and world-class security. You'll find new ways to exceed client expectations during tax, audit, and advisory engagements. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Sharefile, later in the episode. We've been asking ourselves for, for years, what is the Uberfication of our profession? Yeah. Who comes, if we're the taxicab companies, who is Uber that comes in between us and our client and separates the two of us, creates a, a, bi, a bifurcated marketplace, and then charges a big fee and kind of like takes all the, the profitability and value out of this They take the profit, yep. That's exactly right. And this is one potential version of the uberfication of our profession. This is wow. this is one. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm joined today by Rob Valdez. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Big fan of the pod. We're talking today about artificial intelligence and audit. Audit has been in the news recently. Uh, there have been, well, I don't know if this is recent. It seems to have been a, a trend that happens just sort of every year we have some big audit failure. And that always catches my attention, uh, given you know that I, I do a weekly show about accounting. So, hey, if there's a $450 million that doesn't exist, that's always very interesting. But you know, I, I personally was never in audit. I'm one of those rare CPAs who, uh, I guess maybe not so rare anymore, but you know, I, I, I got licensed in California. I didn't have to do audit hours to get licensed, um, right. which is the thing you can do in California. So I've always been in the financial statement side of things, never on the audit okay. side. And so I'm eager to get your perspective as a as an auditor, uh, as an accountant, you know, on like where are we with audit and artificial intelligence? We've been hearing a yes. lot about it, right? We hear a lot about it, but like we do. What's actually happening? Uh, and I want to say thank you first to Alex Mayer at Uplink for introducing us. And and before we get started, actually, Rob, like what's your what's your current role? Yes. Okay. So what's my current role? Um, I am what's called a product owner and director of business intelligence for a CPA firm. The CPA firm is very specialized in uh, the real estate industry and in tax credits in the real estate industry. And we do a lot of data analysis and reporting on that industry. And so, you know, we need people to do data science, data engineering, data crunching, and the reporting. And so I, I work in a team that does innovation and does a lot of that type of thing. So not super traditional in terms of like, you know, if you're going to pick tax or accounting services or audit or whatever, although my background did start out uh, in audit when I went into public. So I got a lot of strong opinions and experience and, and you know, stripes and heartaches and all that kind of stuff uh, when it comes to audit as well. Well, that's fantastic because you are you are the perfect person to talk to because you have this tech innovation side of things and you got the audit side of things, so you know, uh, you know what's up. So yeah, let's let's talk about this. Like, where what is the state of artificial intelligence and audit? Are is it still just you know talk? Is it thought leaders <sighs> saying like artificial intelligence is going to transform audit, or or are audit firms actually like using artificial intelligence yet? Yes. So there is still. A lot of talk, for sure. Uh, there's also some action. And then there's also like 
all this ambiguity around what we consider to be artificial intelligence. And so when are we actually using AI versus when are we just using, like, honestly, just great tech and great procedures and that kind of stuff. And, and that's total fair game as well. But in terms of like, let's say large language models, LLM, if that's kind of what we're very, very interested at this moment in time, how much are those getting used in some form or fashion in audit? Like right now today, it's, it's still pretty limited in terms of what people are doing at this exact moment in time. There's been a couple of uh, really kind of inspiring announcements that are coming out from different firms. You know, uh, Markham presented askmarkham.ai, BDO presented personas, and these are all like these kind of virtual assistant types of uh, implementations of large language models that you can now ask stuff. And if you happen to know people who work for these firms, and I do, and I won't say any names, of course, I would never do that, uh, then some of them are kind of like exploring these technologies. And some of them still are, are kind of like so busy in doing their day jobs that they haven't quite gotten there to, to using them yet. So let's say we're taking baby steps, although the potential is absolutely there. So we can we could talk about what those baby steps look like, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I'm intrigued to understand more about the use of these generative AI chatbots, because that's yeah. the latest big thing, right? ChatGPT, Claude. And um, I just did this this morning with ChatGPT. I created a custom GPT, and I mm -hmm. uploaded some PDFs to it, yep. and I gave it instructions to help me basically query those PDFs. It has to do with CPE course creation. There's a lot of you know compliance around that. And Absolutely. now I can give that GPT to our course writers, to our CPE manager and say, hey, if you have a question, don't come to me first, query the NASBA CPE bot. And awesome. it will tell you, you know, how to structure this course so that it meets the requirements. Is that what yep. we're talking about when it comes to these chatbots with audit? Yeah, absolutely. It's an equivalent of that, right? They're not using OpenAI's make your own GPT. And there's really specific reasons why they're not doing that, right? They want to have like all this geofencing and proprietary uh, IP protection and, and all this kind of stuff. So, but many of them are using, like, for example, Azure has this kind of sort of simulated environment of the exact same thing because of the partnership with OpenAI. And so these firms are using those types of environments to use the make your own GPT technology, upload their own kind of documents and upload authoritative guidance and then provide staff and others the ability to query that. So I actually saw a lot of firms, you know, PWC did a uh, presentation with Microsoft a little while ago and it was it was great, I, I watched it. And, and they, many of them kind of went on a similar type of journey in doing this, right? They, they practice setting up things environments. They started off with uploading, just like you uploaded a bunch of PDFs. They uploaded what they considered to be like non-super sensitive types of information first, like employee handbooks or just like IRC, right? Just tax code or whatever. And they're like, let's start out there. Let's see how that goes. And then let's see how much employees are, are querying it and, and using it and getting meaningful responses. And just like you can get great responses to NASBA related questions, staff, if they ask great questions, can also get like, honestly, really great responses from these things. These, this tech works really well. Now, that doesn't always mean we know exactly the right moments to go when to ask it questions, right? Because right. that is kind of the, the rub, right? Like, when do I go ask a, a virtual 
intelligence, what do I go ask an assistant of, of how to ask a question? And, and you have to know what question to ask. And what question should I ask? And what should I expect? And like, th there's this thing, th the fact that these are kind of like probabilistic uh, kind of responses, right? Like there's going to be like, let's say 50 different versions of this response. And you're almost like shaking up a magic eight ball of response and you're going to get one. And what are the types of questions that you can ask that that's okay that there's like 50 different versions of that response versus sometimes there's just like there's one right answer you only want one right answer and yep. you don't want a lot of hemming and hawing around that right answer you just want one clear articulated non-hallucinated right answer and so like uh the more creative and insightful and like uh thoughtful and curious of these staff can go right now to these these virtual assistants like those couple of firms and like the, the big ones and like many others uh, that are that are building these and they can ask questions like hey we're drafting a footnotes to a financial statement for a client who's about to implement this standard for the first time right like like uh, expected losses on on current assets that's kind of thing right there there's new revenue recognition standards and, and new uh, uh reporting standards around these and they can say we're about to write a footnote for the first time we're going to implement it it's this kind of client this kind of business this kind of risk here's my prompt what's an example of a draft of that footnote and right now you would actually get if the if the authoritative guidance had been uploaded you would get an excellent response to that question mm -hmm. really well drafted footnote and that's today available at many firms and even even if it's not necessarily at your firm there are ways you could go about asking that type of question not using any type of client information whatsoever right and like still get a good response in a way that your firm would probably be very comfortable with as long as you know they had thought through this i feel like drafting notes to the financial statements is like almost the perfect use case for these chatbots because it's good they're templated in many They're cases templated. anyway. And these chatbots have gone and surfed the whole internet, ingested yep. them into the LLMs. And that includes like every K1 that's ever been published on the SEC website. So in that example, you use the expected you know, losses uh, footnote. How many versions of that are in the model? It can probably produce the perfect footnote. And yeah. you don't have to give it client information. You, or, or proprietary client information because you're just giving it say here's our here's our number that's in yep. on the balance sheet right and here is the information that we need to communicate now create the footnote draft the the narrative absolutely and let's pretend that you're like you know what i don't want to put any number in there whatsoever you could say in place of the numbers put xxx right mm. and it'll totally do that right and that way you're like you can tell yourself and your firm and your clients and, and the greater public, like there is zero sensitive data in this conversation that I'm having with this, you know, AI right now. And yet we can still draft a, a, a very nice footnote, uh, kind of work through something and, and even ask like follow-up questions like, okay, but what if this was a type of scenario or what if I'm really concerned about that or I don't like that sentence, can we rewrite that? And if you think about it, like, that's probably uh, a good several hours worth of work by your like, not your staff, right? Your senior, senior slash manager type of person that is gonna go, 
I don't know, maybe look up stuff in the Egger database, read examples of other footnotes, read some authoritative guidance, draft the, you know, the first lousy copy that you got to get out of the way anyways, and then start reworking that thing. And you could do all that in, like, it's not an exaggeration to say 15 minutes, right? You could kind of get that first version hammered out. Absolutely, your partner's still going to read it. The senior manager's still going to read it. A manager's going to read it. Everyone's still going to read it. But like, you've got a nice rolling the ball forward at that point. So like I mentioned, I've never done an audit myself, or I've never participated on an engagement team. Uh, I did do an agreed upon procedures engagement once yep. for a client, and yep. that kind of like dissuaded me from ever doing that again. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was very hard to do just one you know one person. I guess if I'd had staff where I could have them do all the testing, that would yeah. have been great. But for me, like doing it myself, I was like sitting at the computer for hours saying like, why did I agree to do this? I'm testing you know 500 transactions here manually. Yep. Um, but you know, maybe uh, maybe AI will change that, right? Like where a solo CPA could actually do the testing with AI, um, and that is one of those things that we have been hearing about for a while. Yes, with artificial intelligence, even before generative AI came along, there have been companies that have come out. I know there's a few around. Um, maybe you could talk about some of yep. those applications, yep. where, as I understand it, you take a general ledger and you feed it into that system, and yeah. then it can do stuff like pull transactions, right? Figure out the samples, uh, you know, come up with the risk profiles. Like, and I may not be saying it right. Sure, yeah. But like, is that is that basically the the idea? Absolutely, yeah. That, that's where we're headed. There are early versions of that already out now, and we expect a lot more of that in the very near future, right? And and uh, you know, I. I because of some work that I do in this innovation team, I had the chance to meet with uh, some of the the companies that are producing like document document management systems and stuff. And everybody's heard of these companies, you know, Caseware and 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 these kinds of companies uh, that that are absolutely all integrating right now LLMs into their platforms. And um, and we expect a lot more of this type of stuff to come in the very near future. Now, the faster and smaller companies have already kind of done it. And they already have clients using it and seeing it and getting results and getting feedback and they're improving it and that kind of stuff. You mentioned that Alex is the one who introduced us at Uplink, right? And so mm -hmm. they have basically like this document request portal and you can go ahead and say, you know, write write these document requests. Give me the pp and &E roll forward. Give me 50 examples of, you know, this type of uh document for uh, onboarding a new staff, right? And then you can even write in this uh, platform, you can say, here's the tests that I'm going to perform. Like, here's the things that I'm going to look for in the artifacts. In each one of these, um, you know, I'm going to look for onboarding date. I'm going to look for uh, whether or not there's a, a checklist that says, like, you know, that, that we, we signed the code of ethics and this kind of stuff, right? And the AI will make a first pass, a large language model will like, let's say they upload 50 PDFs, it'll ingest the 50 PDFs, make a first pass and say like, yes, here's all the things that were identified and not sure about this one and go check that one further. And I've, I've watched several demos of this uh, with, with Alex and the Uplink team. And it's like, it's very, very, very impressive. And now you're getting to this state where you could have like yourself, one sort of, you know, manager slash partner level type of person that's like, okay, I'm just going to design an audit. Yes. AI is going to do a first pass at the audit. 
And sure, it's not going to be perfect, but like, even if it's 50% of the substantive testing of details done, yeah. like right at that first pass, oh my gosh, that's, that's very, very nice, right? And that's actually available in certain platforms right now and, and many more in the near future. So I'm just thinking, applying that to my experience where I was doing order to cash testing yep, because yep. The, the owners of the business were concerned that maybe an employee was siphoning cash Ooh. somehow, right? That sure. was their, their main worry. So that's why they had hired me to do it. You know, I had to take all of these um, orders and yep. then match them up to all of these deposits. And, and you know, it was, a, it was a lot. I had to do a lot of testing. Absolutely. And so you're saying basically I could take all these documents upload them into the portal or have my client do that. And then mm -hmm. it could go and check for all of the, you know, the date and the sign offs or like all the different details that I'm checking for in each document. It can do that reliably. Yes. Yes. And even produce a first draft, rough draft version of a work paper, right? Like here's all the, you know, uh, artifacts, here's all your, your, your selections from your sample, right? You know, you chose 50 items that are invoices and invoice dates and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of like can pre-populate like a very first draft of a table. Uh, here's what a test might look like. And of course, you're going to have your own way. You write your own procedures. You need your own uh, tick mark toolbar and all this kind of stuff that you want to see on your work paper and that your firm insists must have on yeah. its own work paper. So it's not going to do any of that. And, and, you know, maybe in the near future they will, but we're nowhere close to that. But yeah, you can have a first sort of draft of a testing table kind of even being produced by these things, which is honestly, that's, that's a great step forward. And that's where you start to get a little bit more excited about some of the things that, that we think are, are in the pipeline. To me, that feels very much like when we started to get bank feeds in. Yeah. Yeah. cloud accounting. And exactly. I could import all the transactions into the accounting system and then set up rules to categorize them automatically. Yep. That compared to what I was doing before was like an 80% save time yes. savings. I was previously entering transactions from PDFs, PDF bank statements as a bookkeeper. That's how I got started. And, sure. then, and then we connected the data, we set up rules, and now it's 80% less work I would just was reviewing exceptions. So are we talking about that kind of time savings in terms of, you know, audit, like staff work, testing? That is absolutely the goal to get that type of time savings. I think what is lacking right now is that like, first of all, those are not evenly dis distributed. Like the, all those sort of LLM integrations are being done right now. So the the startups, the quick thinkers, the 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 SaaS uh, solutions, they're kind of doing it already, but like the big pieces of enterprise audit tech stack have not yet done it, right? So we're, we're not there yet on those. And then the second piece is like the auditors ourselves, we don't yet know how to use this and that it's available and exactly the right things that we should be asking it to do versus things that we shouldn't be asking it to do. And so like, let's say this busy season, like you're not going to get that that night and day QuickBooks uh, rules ingest experience, uh, but you could start to do it on a couple of engagements. If you're a leader firm that is actually working with newer technology, uh, you could probably even make a couple of passes at this now and 
absolutely already be telling ourselves, okay, we're not doing this again. We're, you know, our, our summer jobs, our fall jobs, we're doing this other way and kind of even start to think in that redesigning, re-engineering uh, phase in your mind and certainly be getting those types of um, uh, benefits in terms of time, expense, I mean, you know, mental burden and boredom and fatigue and just the, the horribleness of yeah. ticking and tying like PDFs, which is just the worst part of the work, right? This episode of the Earmark Podcast is sponsored by ShareFile. ShareFile is a secure, easy-to-use technology that helps you deliver a modern client experience and streamlines your document-heavy workflows. ShareFile makes it simple and secure to work with clients and enhances your internal processes to improve overall satisfaction and experience. With ShareFile, you can provide easy-to-use client portals, accelerate PBC list process, simplify client communication, deliver e-signatures, and so much more. Whether you're working in the office or remotely, ShareFile lets you seamlessly collaborate with clients and streamline repetitive tasks, all securely and in one tool. ShareFile also integrates with your existing processes and is optimized for tax, audit, and advisory engagements in mind. It helps firms like yours keep your teams close and your clients even closer. ShareFile helps you enhance client onboarding, organize and simplify document collection, and orchestrate secure document exchange. It gives you complete visibility into document workflows that speed up client services and ultimately helps your firm work more efficiently with less resources. If you're ready to elevate your client's expectations and your firm's efficiency to the next level with ShareFile, head over to earmarkcpe.promo slash ShareFile. That is earmarkcpe.promo forward slash S-H-A-R-E-F-I-L-E. To me, looking at what the staff experience is now on an audit engagement, like staff one, right? Yeah. Just join. To me, it's like bookkeeping. It's it's not requiring a lot of like thought. It's here's a bunch of stuff I got to do. Go pull the docs. It's just I'm following a checklist, and I can't imagine that's very exciting um, for those young accountants. And I wonder if that's you know is that part of the reason we're struggling to get people in? I fear that it is um, because you know there's so much context that professionals lack when they first enter the workforce. Because they they've done good work in school, and it's 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 true that there are some great courses and great professors and all that kind of stuff, and 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 they've they've done some good work, and they've they've challenged themselves in certain ways, and they've trained themselves certain ways, but they still don't know any of the terminology. They don't know how to read an audit program. They don't understand what's being said in an audit program. They've never seen all the different horrible, chaotic versions of a work paper that your client actually gives you, right? You, you look in, in your class and you get an AR aging and it's, it's, it's very straightforward and it's simple and you can read it and you can understand it. And then your client, you know, you say to your client, I want the AR aging and they produce you some document, some table of table of tables. And you're like, what is this? This isn't in buckets. It's not grouped, right? I don't understand. Do I have to run this through idea just to get it in the right format? I don't, I don't understand why this is so complicated. Like you, you got to learn all that and know when to kind of push back on the client, when to go ask your senior, when to, you know, burn time on the budget, when to not. And there's so many like professional environment and just auditor CPA life things that you're trying to learn that, yeah, unfortunately, um, you don't come in prepared for all that stuff. And it takes, that's why it takes a little while to get to senior and takes a little while to start having judgment and, and, and learn when to 
push something back to the client and say, hey, this didn't tie to the GL. How can you give me this? This isn't working versus when to, oh, okay, we just got to kind of make it work in this other way, right? All, all that lacks at the beginning. Yeah, so I guess if if we're freeing up the staff so that they're not doing all this ticking and tying and the yeah. audit program or the the technology is is doing a lot of it, you know, then then it raises the question, like, do we have room on our engagement teams for these staff? Like, what are they going to do? And how are they going to get the experience to then be the seniors and the managers uh, if they're if they're not doing what they currently do? Yeah. So, you know, it it's probably the like the million dollar question, right? So like if we do take away some of the boring aspect of the work that was useful because it trained them on the job, what do they do now? And if you look at some other professions and how they kind of handle these like these junior sort of positions there's some really interesting ideas that we could we could adopt or think about or take parts from if we wanted to like software engineers they have this thing that's called pair programming right and it used to be really popular and then it went away and it's kind of coming back and and the idea is that you literally sit you know when we worked in physical spaces it was side by side and like did programming together and like you know you would do some programming for a little while and the staff would watch and then you take your hands off the keyboard push the keyboard over to them maybe the next hour they do programming for a little while and you're watching and you guys are talking the whole time this isn't silence this isn't like observing it's not judgment this is like we're thinking together as one right and and maybe now that we don't sit in the same physical office maybe you join a slack huddle or you join a team's call or mm -hmm. whatever it is right and now like you work on a work paper together. Like, okay, what's the first step we do? Why are we doing it? What's the second step? Why are we doing the third step? Why are we doing it? And like I, in my team, in my work that I do right now, I'm doing a lot of this because like right now, so we do a ton of data engineering and stuff, right? So you get it, you get a bunch of files, they're, they're JSONs or XMLs or CSVs or whatever they are. And you got to manipulate all this stuff, transform, turn into tables, join tables, merge tables, do all this kind of thing. And like, a brand new data scientist or a brand new data analyst or data engineer, they don't know how to do all that stuff. They, they did some projects in school. They get conceptually what you're supposed to do, but like all the judgment, all the things you could get wrong, all the times you tripped yourself, they don't know any of it, right? So we share a screen, talk to a, a project, talk to a task step-by-step. Step. Here's what we're going to do first. Here's what we're going to do next. Okay. You know, and, and it's okay. Like if the person spends a couple of minutes kind of fumbling around trying to figure out how to do it. Like you don't have to breathe down their neck. You kind of let them figure it out. You talk them through it. Okay, well, let's do this. Let's do that. This is on this screen. You click that button, maybe, you know, write this formula, write this script, whatever. And maybe there's opportunity for a lot more of that. Right now we're testing the search for unrecorded liabilities, right? So we have this, you know, uh, disbursements journal. We're going to go through these items. We, we made selections. We picked a sample of this size for this reason. Here's uh, individually significant items. Here's, you know, non-material items. Here's things that we think are worth testing. Here's what we're looking for on each artifact. Why are we looking for that? What do we want to put in the work paper? Why do we want to document that? What needs to be on our work paper? Like talking through all that together, uh, is a great opportunity for, for training our people. If we'll, take the opportunity and, and spend the time to train our people, mm. right? I love that as a training method because it also overcomes this problem with remote work, which is that our young yeah. people feel isolated and alone and lost and they're reluctant to go ask questions because 
when you're in person, you can kind of get that feel for whether or not your senior or your manager is truly available. But when you're on Microsoft Teams, all you see is their name on a chat and you feel like you're bugging them constantly. And so they don't ask yep. for help. But if you're doing these regular working sessions where you're always with somebody else, then you get that that in-office feeling yeah. with the ability to work remotely. Yeah. Um, and I'd heard about that, that that idea that, I mean, this is very common in programming, right? Where you have yes. two programmers work together. It's proven to be effective. So that could be something that we adopt in accounting that would help our firms work remotely. I think I'm going to have to just try that in my own business because we're fully remote. Sure. And we, we struggle with the same thing. Um, and I find that actually when I'm, I do a lot of workflow design because mm -hmm. we're a yeah. remote company, we have to have really well-documented processes. And when I do that, I prefer actually to be on with my business partner, David, and we work through it together, building it in the app. It's like the nice. same thing you're talking about there. Yeah, it, it is. And we actually, you know, have daily meetings, like, you know, we call them daily standups or whatever, but it usually ends up going into a session and we'll spend time. We'll say, okay, what are we going to do today? You know, what are you doing? What am I doing? And let's, let's take some task. Let's work through it. Right. And, and sometimes it'll be 20 minutes. Sometimes it can be two hours. Right. And so like, uh, you, you sit there and you work through it together and you've got it blocked out and you know that you're going to do that. And you're, you're kind of thinking through this and that you're really investing time in a person and I, and they're learning and they're getting a lot of that experience. And then, and then you're talking through a bunch of stuff, of course, related to the task, but then also like, you know, talking to each other, just building that relationship, which is so important. Mm -hmm. So you, you absolutely can do this, but it's, it's a real investment, right? Like right. you could only do this for a certain number of people and like maybe they could turn around and only do it for a certain number of people as well. So it, it definitely like it scales in a certain way and doesn't scale in another way. And well, and, but to think, let's think about it this way. If you yeah. automate, let's say 50% of yep. the work that staff were doing before, you could look at it as, oh, now I only need 50% of the staff. Or you could say, I'm going to keep 100% of the staff and I'm going to have them work together. Yeah. And so we'll have two people working together on the same thing and we'll yeah. get higher quality as a result. Yeah. And better trained people. Right? Better trained Which people. We're not just throwing them into the fire. Exactly. Which right. is like the real scaling leverage of our profession, right? Since our profession is so much about like relationships and trust and deliverables and transformations. Now we're focused a lot on transformations of our clients' actual business goals as opposed to just here's a report, see you next year, whatever, right? So that like investment in people and then turning around and investing times in our clients as well. I mean, that that's really the sort of the, the, the big lever that we hope to be able to pull and deliver yeah. a lot of value, enjoyment and, and fulfillment to ourselves and value to our clients and value to our teams and our firms and our organizations and hopefully our communities and our profession as well. So we've been talking a lot about the ideal state, using yes. AI to, to, you know, make our firms better, make audit better. But let's talk about the blockers. Yeah. What is holding back, in your opinion, what is holding back firms from adopting AI and and getting to this ideal state? Yeah, so a lot of things. Uh, some very well 
thought through and some like legacy things that we still continue to carry, right? So uh, first of all, I kind of mentioned that like some of these firms that are doing good work, they're like working with well-trusted organizations like like Azure and, and Microsoft uh, to build out these environments because they're so concerned with intellectual property and confidentiality and privacy and all the things that they actually absolutely should be, right? So uh, there's that big information security consideration that is causing people to tread with caution. And then there's also like quality and uh, professional, you know, uh, acumen and that sort of thing that is is like people are, are leery of. Let's not just have someone suddenly trust every single thing that is provided to them by a virtual assistant or a chatbot without thinking through it, right? And turn around and hand that to a client because that's definitely not a good idea. And these things absolutely do hallucinate and they do say things that don't make sense and they do write code that is buggy and they, they do all that kind of stuff that a human would do, go figure, right? And so that's kind of holding us back on the one end. But then the other things that are holding us back as well include some like kind of still very clunky legacy sort of aspects of our organizations. And that's like the siloization of our software and the siloization of our data and the lack of structure and standardization of our work paper, right? So like we download something from one area, put it over somewhere else and then upload it there and then change it into a format and then somebody else reworks it and all that kind of stuff still moving around the data from one place to the, to the next. And if your AI that you're working with is only in like one of those components or the very last component, then you still get that kind of like brain in a jar sort of scenario where I don't get to use it until I've perfected everything for it and then hand it off to it. And then finally I get to use it. And by that point, I might as well have done it myself. Like that's still going to hold firms back from, from moving as quickly as we would want them to. So, well, like, give me an example of that. Yeah, okay, so let's pretend that you're an auditor and you your firm uses some type of uh, document request management system, right? So yep. like, let's just pretend you use, I don't know, Citrix ShareFile or whatever, you know. That's a good out one. There. Super yeah, cool, yeah. Very well known, right? Very well known. And so like, let's say you went in there and you built a request list and maybe you didn't use all the tooling that's available in Citrix ShareFile where you can like build out one item at a time. Maybe you like, did something silly, like just uploaded an Excel document there and the client's like reading that. And so now they're kind of just dropping a bunch of random like PDFs and Excel workbooks and artifacts in there. And, and maybe they didn't title them right and that you didn't organize your requests super well and, and they didn't organize their responses super well. So now somebody's got to like read each one of those things and figure out what it's responding to and map the artifacts to the requests. So right, right there, you're kind of losing like the benefit of data structure and, and like having all that organized. Um, and then if you kind of bring those down, some staff brings them down into their local laptop and then like renames them, okay, this is the PP&E roll forward. This is the, you know, uh, revenue schedule. This is whatever. This is the uh, accrual work paper for this, right? And then you start uploading that into your document management system, right? Let's say you use ProSystem FX engagement or you use Caseware or you use whatever, right? Now you upload it there. So now you're in the like the third storage location that you've moved from one place to the next. Yeah. And you're still kind of just moving around files as a staff manually spending time, manually rewriting stuff, manually kind of cleaning up things. And then they're going to put it in the right folder and then make sure it's indexed according to the, the work paper index, like sort of rationality. And then like 
maybe they do a separate testing work paper and a separate Excel file and, and like they kind of put references and all that stuff. And like, so the fact that all this data is disjointed and not in just one home that just flows along a workflow, it, it, it burns a ton of time, ton of effort. It's very low value. The client doesn't care about any of this stuff that we're doing, right? This is our problem and, and nobody enjoys that work, right? So that, that will hold us back if we continue to let it. So that is the mission of the tech companies out there. Startup founders, please, if you're listening, it's crazy that our document storage systems and our work papers organization systems are not connected to these portals that yeah. we are using with clients. Crazy. That just seems like nuts. So, but it's not, audit's not the only department with this problem. Tax has no. the same problem. Same problem. Where tax software is not connected to the systems for requesting yeah. documentation. Even if you've moved from that PDF organizer or that printed out and mailed tax organizer and you've gotten online one, often that doesn't integrate with your tax software. So now exactly. you're downloading and having to re-upload and, and manually find the missing docs. And it's funny because, you know, I come from the outsourced accounting world and yep. in many ways we have solved this. Yes. And, it and. You know, it's kind of like I, I look back at the more traditional areas of accounting and I feel sorry for everybody that's stuck in that world. Uh, I know. Why, why, can't these, why can't these software vendors get with the program? To me, it's slightly shocking that accounting services or CAS or whatever anybody is going to decide to call it have done such excellent and extraordinary work in kind of moving this ball forward. Whereas like our tax and our audit services, the big giants in our, in our profession of uh, driven by That's compliance. 90% of the profession is audit and tax or something. Absolutely. Right. You know? And, maybe that's like, if we flip it on its head, maybe that's why, like they're so big and so legacy and so uh, sometimes profitable and established and, you know, uh, political interests or whatever we want to say about yeah. that, um, that change management and, a, and a adaptation might be slower in those areas because of that reason. Whereas you have these like, you know, fractional CFOs or bookkeepers or accounting service firms that are just cranking it out, maybe integrated with their clients, maybe all on one platform, commenting and 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 exchanging information and and you know with with like bill.com and these amazing things that you're yeah. kind of like your flow is integrated with your client. Your client knows exactly what it's doing. The policies are kind of built into this. Uh, of, of course, like when you are integrated behind the firewall of your client's sort of boundary, it perhaps that's easier to do. Um, you know, you're, you're, you've decided to work in one platform, you know, you're not going to necessarily work in one platform for tax services in, in an intuitive way. And certainly with audit independence, there's going to be ways that people want to protect themselves in different ways about that. But still, we can, we can definitely solve this problem. We can definitely work around this. That's, that's not insurmountable. So that's what we got to do. We got to connect the apps, yep. automate the flow of the data, and then we can really get the benefit of the AI. Yeah. yeah, it's as uninspiring and unexciting as middleware, right? Like that's literally what we're talking about. Middleware, yeah. Making sure the stuff connects. Yeah. And it, if it does, then now we, all of a sudden we get the extraordinary benefits of LLMs plus good data engineering, plus good analytics, plus good storage, plus efficiencies, plus 
more automated reporting and dashboarding and real-time communications and all these stuff that we really want and have been talking about forever in these professions and still continue to make progress on. It's like yeah. we're making none, but we're not making it as fast as we want. That's pretty clear. And and this is kind of one of the big impediments for it. Well, and you implied this or mentioned it uh, briefly, but I think it's worth pointing out, uh, you know, audit firms are profitable. And, yes. And so... It's hard to push for change when the system is working for the partners. It's working, you know, or they feel that it's working. Yeah. Um, and so maybe it'll have to break before it gets <laughs> fixed, really, right? Like, um, and I feel like the crisis that's leading us to that point is the talent shortage. There just simply aren't enough young accountants coming out of school to staff these odd engagements. And we've seen a number of um, municipalities recently, they seem to be the ones that are feeling the pain first, uh, in rural areas saying we couldn't Mm. get our audit done because there's only two firms in the state of Wyoming that do government audits, and the one that we use is understaffed. So it's delayed, right? Yep. Yeah, the talent shortage, for sure, is a uh, potential driver for, for change, right? And then also, we uh, look inward at our profession a lot as well. And maybe some of the more opportune kinds of entrepreneurs spot that about us and realize that they can shake us up from the outside sometimes too, right? And I think we see both things coming at us in real ways and fast ways. And they might cause us to get motivated to change a little faster or to break some of this profitability or or not even not just the profit it's the success the comfort with our own ways uh they, they might encourage us to explore a little more right you you do see like in SOC 2 audits right we saw this sort of explosion of platforms that kind of reached to our market didn't even reach to the cpa's us, right? They reached to our clients, the clients getting the audits, and they said, we can automate your audit, you know, and they kind of, for better or for worse, I have a lot of uh, criticisms of that messaging, but that that is what they told our marketplace. We saw Vanta and Drada and Tugboat and these other solutions, these, these startups, tech startups, SaaS platforms go to the clients and say, we can automate your SOC 2. We know that your SOC 2 is very painful. We know it takes a long time. We know you don't like it. It's expensive. Guess what? We automated it. That's what they went and effectively told the marketplace. And suddenly, firms that did a lot of that type of work found themselves in the position of like, wait a minute, I'm getting middlemaned out of this relationship that I have with my client. My my client just got told by some software platform that a SOC 2 audit, which the market rate rightfully for, takes the level of effort to be, for, for this imaginary company, maybe between thirty dollars and $40,000 to effectively perform this with quality. Well, they just got told by this SaaS startup that if you pay the startup, you know, X, 10000 bucks or whatever, that now the audit should be able to be done in a, a Y type of fee. And they may have said some crazy number like, Five thousand or eight thousand dollars. I've heard it's like a that. lot lower. It's night and day. This is this is the innovators' dilemma, disruptive innovation, Christensen type of stuff that we're seeing flying at us. And I don't even think 
our profession has on a broad scale kind of recognized this yet because we're like, ah, oh, SOC 2, those are SaaS startups and, and those are all tiny companies and those aren't IPO'd yet. And, and, and you know, that, that, that's like the, the, the innovator's dilemma, right? That the, like, it starts out at the bottom and then we say, oh, we don't need to worry about it. And then suddenly they come after the mainstream and, and then we get worried about it. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Or I think I know where you're going with this, which is that why couldn't a startup come after financial statement audits? The Absolutely. same way they've come after SOC 2 audits. Yes. And maybe they start small, uh, but all you have to do, right, as with SOC 2, these, these are, and by the way, for our listeners who aren't familiar with SOC 2, yep. this is IT audits, right? Is yes. that, a, you know, like ensuring that your systems are secure and protecting client data and all this stuff, right? And this is something that was created by the AICPA designed mm -hmm. for CPA firms to do. And correct me if I'm wrong, but these startups have, come along, as I understand it, and have created platforms to do the SOC 2 audit. And then there is a CPA who signs off. Mm -hmm. But that's like, you know, they've, they've automated everything except for that. We're observing some very, very, very interesting trends in this area, right? So the platform comes along, kind of standardizes the request list to some large degree, uh, integrate a lot of those things into the client's cloud services or whatever, and then effectively automatic automates a bunch of the artifact gathering, the evidence gathering. And then because of that, they kind of like turn around, they tell the CPA, hey, this is basically automated. It's going to take you a very short amount of time. And CPA firms were like, well, we don't know that your thing is right. We don't know that your requests are right. We don't know that, that you're going to do this right. And they found a whole spectrum of CPA firms, some that are like, we're going to do this quality, uh, the way our quality management management system tells us how to do it, and we're going to do it exactly the way we believe ethically we should do it. And then they've also found some more adventurous CPA firms that are like, hey, we definitely want to try your technology and see how much efficiency you can gain us. And yeah, we're willing to kind of like meet the market wherever that is in terms of changing yeah. our price. And then of course, in any free marketplace, there's some other far end of the spectrum as well of some firms that are like, hey, okay, if you can give us all the evidence and we can close our eyes and sign, like, maybe we'll do that. And yeah. I've read some of those reports, and I'm not going to name any names, but some of those reports are not the type of quality that I'm used to seeing, and we're seeing a disruption of that type of attestation work. If they can come after attestation work, you know, the, the most sacred and protected of all the CPAs types of work then of course they can come after the other types of attestation eventually. They can come after tax work. They can come after uh, the other types of services and attempt to like disintermediate and tell the client at least that they're going to automate the CPA out of the picture and, and right. reduce fees by doing that. But they, they've carved out a lot of that work for this tech company. And yep. now the CPA is just doing the, at the very end, looking yep. at the work papers that have been prepared and signing off and so the CPA's share of the value of that engagement is smaller. Exactly. And exactly. that's the risk we run as a profession. If we don't modernize and do this ourselves, yes. a tech company is going to come along and, like you said, disintermediate us from the client. We've been asking ourselves for, for years, what is the Uberfication of our profession? Yeah. Who comes, if we're the taxicab companies, who is Uber? that comes in between us and our client and separates the two of us, creates a, a, bi a bifurcated marketplace, and then charges a big fee and kind of like takes all the, the profitability and value out of this They take the profit, yep. That's exactly right. And 
this is one potential version of the uberfication of our profession. This is wow. this is one. It's and big. I never thought about SOC 2 as being the the vanguard of that. That's that's the first I mean, are there any other areas in attestation that are being disintermediated? Like Uberfied? I'm not seeing other areas being disintermediated to this degree. And it's funny, you say, why in the world SOC 2? I mean, it's like it's kind of a arcane, like smaller segment of the marketplace. Why would this be the area where something gets disrupted? And it's funny because the client and the entrepreneur are the same person, right? So this, you know, some of these firms- They've had to go through it themselves. They went through it themselves. They hated the audit themselves. They came out of Y Combinator and they were like, hey, in order to get big enterprise accounts, we got to get this thing called SOC 2. We don't know what it is. We don't care, but we somehow got to do it. They went and did it. It was awful. You know, much to our chagrin, right? And, and expensive. Our, our, and expensive and time consuming. And they never understood it. They never yeah. really felt like they received value from it. And they said, okay, I guess I just found my new niche pain customer. I want to go after this thing now. And they did. And, you know, yeah. to their credit, they are doing it. Now, I think there's some ways they're cutting a lot of corners that I'm not a fan on, yep. right? And that I, do not think are good for the marketplace or the profession or even for their own long-term sustainability and longevity. I don't think they're serving themselves when they cut corners, right? So, of course, it's a broad marketplace of disruption and some people will go after it in different ways. And there's great, great versions of this and less quality versions yeah. of this. And we're going to see that whole thing happening. And maybe it's going to come after other markets. Now they realize how vulnerable we are. Now the PE like has gained a huge taste for buying up firms and they've seen how easy it is to do and, and how profitable they, they can do it. Now, oh, yeah. maybe we'll see more of this as well, right? Well, that is that raises an interesting specter, which is a private equity firm with this mentality, yeah. buying a big accounting firm yep. and then saying... You know, 40% of audits are deficient, according to the PCAOB, Horrible. financial statement audits, right? Horrible. So what can we do to automate this and create a system where we can deliver audits mm -hmm. and all they have to do is pass inspection, which, yep. you know, when 40% of audits are deficient, that indicates to me that quality is a big problem in our profession right now, right? Due to the staffing shortages. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity. Maybe that's what we will see coming out of these PE acquisitions. Somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna start doing financial statement audits like these SOC 2 audits. We might, we might. It's, it's, it's certainly not an obvious guarantee that this is exactly what will happen, but yeah. that is one of the scenarios that we could see out of this, right? We, we've seen... PE come in and, and I, I think PE just bought Baker Tilly, right? But maybe the largest PE acquisition um, of, of a public accounting firm that we're seeing coming out now. And so like we're seeing way up the food chain, these types of transactions taking place. And we're seeing that they, they could come in with their existing mentality. Uh, what is private? What do private equity firms do, right? They buy a bunch of little versions of a thing, dry cleaner, CPA firm, whatever it is, and they put them all on the same platform and they tell them, hey, you're all going to do the same way now. And they kind of centralize some of the back office and some of the shared services. And then they they make it more profitable because of that. And then they start cut, 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 cut. And then next thing you know, we've reduced a bunch and hopefully created a leaner system and 
maybe made a lot of uh, ownership and shareholder value in the process. That's the sort of classic model of what yeah. they think they do and what many times they can do and what they potentially could try and do uh, for us, you know, for better or for worse. And I just looked this up on uh, ChatGPT using yeah. the web search feature. Baker Tilly in, was indeed uh, one of the largest transactions yeah. to date. Their net revenue in fiscal year 23 was $1.6 billion. Incredible. And yeah. they're now private equity owned. Hellman and Friedman and Valeris Capital Partners, it's going to close in June 2024. Okay. It's the largest investment, largest private equity investment in a US CPA firm so far. For sure. Yeah. Wow. And and even though that's the biggest and it's a, it's a huge headline and extremely important, right down the food chain uh, all along the way, there's been a ton of transaction activity that we've been seeing over the past couple yep. of years as well, right? We've seen, uh, let's see, it's it's telling me Citroen Cooperman. Yep. Um, CBiz is the success story that it, it's pointed to a lot in, in nice. the private equity world because they are corporate, right? They're not a partnership. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, as a CPA, there's a part of me that hopes that we don't get uberfied. Yeah, of course. Uh, because like, you know, I don't know if that would be great for the profession as it is, but also I feel like our profession needs to be disrupted. So I welcome yeah. this competition um, because otherwise there's no impetus to change, right? If you don't have competition. And we've seen taxi companies actually do some really great things. Like now yeah. my taxi driver doesn't get pissed off when I want to pay with a credit card. Right. Yeah, so imagine that. I've started taking the taxi at the airport when I get to the airport. Okay. I don't go get an Uber most of the time. I just jump in a taxi because it's easier. Yeah. Maybe I'll take an Uber back to the airport, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I find the taxi's actually a better experience 10 years. Uh, how long has Ma Uber been around now? Yeah, I feel yeah. like 10, 20 years now. About a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. So m maybe they'll raise the bar and maybe that is uh, a bright side of this uh conversation and let's certainly hope that it is i would prefer and i would encourage us to also disrupt ourselves as outsiders are looking at us and looking at how extraordinary of a profession and opportunity it is that we have and that we have the the, the opportunity to work in and we do uh we should also say well if they appreciate it so much and recognize all this opportunity we of course can also do that, right? We can recognize there's opportunity to innovate. There's opportunity to start firms with entirely different value propositions. There's opportunity to not say, I'm just going to do the exact same thing that everybody else has done. I mean, you know, I, I, I see a lot of interesting conversations on on what's still like interestingly called uh, tax Twitter, right? It, it, you know, yeah. there's still, still a lot of interesting threads about things that people are doing in their practices with fees or with markets that they're serving or, or, or ways that they're changing or technology they're adopting. So I, I love it and I, I would love to see even more of it. And so that's why I, I think these kinds of conversations are so great because as long as we keep challenging ourselves to think outside our own routines, then you know, we can also be part of that competition that the outsiders are certainly going to try and join. But of course, we have the advantage of knowing all of the context and all of the value and all the uh, important quality that we have to maintain in the process. Rob, it has been so great talking to you. Uh, we've been hearing from Rob Valdez. Rob, where do you 
like to connect with people online? You mentioned Twitter. Is that your favorite social platform? Like, where can people continue the conversation with you? So LinkedIn is great, right? I'm, I'm Rob Valdez on, on LinkedIn, and you can look me up. I, I write a blog at vision.cpa, and, you know, you could certainly uh, check that out and, like, connect with me there. It's very easy to, like, uh, connect with me on socials or, or submit a, you know, little little comment there or something like that. And I'd be thrilled to, to hear from anybody. And you hear the type of stuff that I like, right? So I, I yeah. don't get sick of talking about this. So if anybody wants to talk about this, then I welcome the discussion. I have just subscribed to your blog at vision.cpa. So Thank you. I recommend everyone else do that. That's a great way to stay in touch with folks. Uh, and by the way, you can subscribe to my blog, blakeoliver.com. Head over there, join my newsletter. You'll get notified of new posts and interviews and, and whatnot. And don't forget, you can earn free CPE for listening today with the Earmark app. If you made it to the end of this episode, you can get an hour of CPE that is NASBA approved. Go to earmarkcpe.com, download the app, and find the course with this episode title on the Earmark podcast channel. And take a quick five-question quiz and get your CPE. And that, Rob, is how we are helping to automate CPE and continuing education compliance for CPAs. I love it. Let's keep doing it. Thanks, Rob. Great chatting with you. Likewise.